Well, good morning. It's my privilege to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we long for each person here, each community in this place, in fact, over the whole world, that Jesus would be experienced and known. In these Sundays of Advent, we've been celebrating the first coming of Jesus and anticipating his glorious return. And living in this in-between time, we're examining the gifts that are given to us in Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at the generosity of Jesus, which sets his love on display for all the world. One thing is true of every person in this room, it seems. At the end of the year, we all are being inundated with requests for money, right? Your church is asking you, email, snail mail. You see these uh, great graphs and pictures and a demonstration of need. But what is it that's going to motivate us to generosity? Is it the picture? Is it the, the, the story? What motivates us to give? That's what our text is about today. Paul was asking churches in Corinth that, to, to support impoverished and persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. And these were people they'd never met before. And they was calling this church in Corinth to sacrificial giving to relieve a burden they don't feel. They're not feeling persecuted in Corinth like they were in Jerusalem at that time. So here Paul's trying to motivate people to sacrificially give to relieve a burden that none of them feel of people whom they've never met. How do you motivate somebody to that kind of generosity? This is not a sermon on year-end giving, but rather it mo what we ask what motivates the generous sharing of ourselves. What empowers the sharing of our lives and all of our resources? What's going to move us here to share what we've been given with the world? Let's pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes and our hearts. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, open our ears to hear the beautiful music of his gospel, and open our hearts and our wills to be moved with the same generosity with which you have come to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is good news of great joy, Glory to God in the highest. We love a good rags to riches story, don't we? Been thinking about that a little bit as my son Isaiah was in Westminster's production of Cinderella. We know that story, this young woman whose life was changed. She was overlooked and unseen, and yet she was discovered as beautiful. She was and made princess. Nay, prince and the princess lived happily ever after. We, we love these stories. But what is rarer? It's a story that begins with happily ever after and goes backwards. Begins with happily ever after in heaven and goes backwards to the king's poverty. This king who made himself poor for his people's sake. That's what we have in the Christmas story. It's a profound generosity of, of a king who on purpose 
made himself poor for his enemy's sake. And it was a supreme manifestation of the love of God for sinners like us. In fact, we better know how deeply he loves us by examining the generosity of his grace. What's going to motivate us to give? It really is grace. It's grace that moves us to generosity. How? Well, first, let's look at the pattern of Jesus's life. Paul has a brilliant summary statement of how Jesus lived his life on earth, and he speaks of it as grace. Now, if you've studied the Bible a bit, you will know that grace means when we are given the opposite of what we deserve, and we're called to respond to it. Grace is God's generously giving us his favor, his kindness, his forgiveness when we deserve the opposite. We deserve condemnation. We deserve judgment. It's grace that gives us the opposite of what we deserve. Look at verse 9. Paul said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, Paul's not talking about economic realities here. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, who was filled with glory and splendor and majesty in heaven before he left the throne to enter this world of flesh and a broken, sinful world. He did so, the pattern says, so that by his poverty, we trade places. We are get the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve condemnation and judgment, and we are given grace because the Lord Jesus came here and took what we deserve. We receive the riches of eternal life with him. We receive glory and forgiveness and righteousness and peace forever. But think about that pattern. Jesus took on poverty so that we might receive his riches through faith. Charles Spurgeon goes through a list of ways in which Jesus became poor so that we might be lifted into the glory of heaven. The first thing he says is, is omnipotent God. We studied it last week. The one by whom and for whom and through whom everything was created became poor, became needy, took on flesh, becoming completely dependent as an infant. He needed his mother's milk to stay alive. Think about that. The one who can do anything, who's omnipotent, required his mother's milk to stay alive. He, he left the glory of the throne of heaven where he was robed in light and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Smelly room where animals were there. It was poor and needy. He took that place of weakness, that place of dependence so that you and I could be lifted up as co-heirs with Christ. He took our poverty, our dependence so that we would be lifted up to enjoy heaven forever with him. And the first 30 years of his life, he lived in obscurity. He was preparing for his ministry. Think about that. The, the creator of everything was hidden in obscurity. He was overlooked. He had a common everyday job. He was a carpenter in obscurity so that in his triumph of humility, we might receive the glories of a new heavens and new earth. Jesus came into this place of obscurity so that you could be lifted up in glory. And when his ministry did go public, he, going big meant going deeper into poverty, into what we could only describe as homelessness, dependent upon the generosity of others to have a place to sleep. Jesus, the one who inherits the entire earth, the entire universe, and everything in it said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
He took that place, that place of desperation, so that you and I could be lifted up to abundance and lack nothing forever when we were together with the Lord. Further, he was accused. He was rejected in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrayed him. His friends all left him. He was rejected. He was taken captive. He was crucified so that through his betrayal, you and I would be given the gift of eternal faithfulness, a bond in blood of the faithful promise of God. He was betrayed that we might receive a faithful promise of the love of God. He was mocked, accused, so that in him we might become blameless. He was chastised and condemned, so that in his cross, the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. He was laid in a tomb, succumbing to the curse of death, so that we would be given life forever. He was brought down so that we might be lifted up. In all these ways and many, many more, the God who made everything became poor, not just so that we would survive, but so that we would inherit a rich and glorious eternity with him. He spent himself, he gave himself in that loving, radical generosity of the heart of God set on display for sinners. That's grace. He gave us the opposite of what we deserve. And that life is the pattern for disciples too. It's a pattern for how we are called to live our lives. Now don't misunderstand Paul says later in chapter 8, he's not calling us to give such that we impoverish ourselves by making someone else rich. That's not the point. But rather, our deep generosity in some way manifests the radical love of Jesus to this world. When we give of ourselves so deeply that it's costly, not just over the leftovers, but when we bear one another's burdens, when we're willing to disadvantage ourselves in order to give an advantage to someone else. It, manage, it manifests and demonstrates the grace and love of God among us. Generosity received from the Lord spurs generosity outpoured toward others. Now, that's not merely about how large of a check we write at the end of the year. The bigger question is, how do we spend our lives? How do we share our lives? How do we move toward other people who are truly in need? A generous God moved toward our need and gave us his son as a pattern of generosity that we as his disciples take on for the sake of others. So we would ask, what are we supposed to give? How much are we supposed to give? Paul, how much are these Corinthian Christians supposed to give to relieve the suffering of brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? This is where it gets really interesting to me at least. Paul, who was this very devout Jew, knew the law inside and out. He was observant. He was devout. He knew everything about the law. He was was a teacher even. But he says nothing about the tithe here. It's so interesting to me. This is like a a wide open truck size opportunity for him to drive right through and say, so Corinthian church, you're supposed to give 10% a tithe to the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. But he doesn't say that. In fact, He doesn't say anything about duty. He doesn't say anything about law. He doesn't say anything about should. This is what you should do. In fact, in verse 8, he says, I'm not even going to command you. He had every right to command. But rather, Paul grounds generosity in the pattern of the gospel. 
He invites us to take a gospel posture. Jesus came for us, so we go to others and spend ourselves for them. So what? Here's the point. We become like Jesus. We follow the pattern of his life when we're willing to give of our physical resources because we have received profound, life-giving, eternity-backed resources in Jesus. That's it. Love received from Christ stirs up love for others. The love of Jesus toward us stirs up sacrifice for others. It's an overflow of what we've received from the Lord, the one who impoverished himself for us. So now we turn and offer what we have to take the burdens off of the shoulders of those around us. It's a manifestation of divine love set on display. It's it's the pattern of life. Now, I said a moment ago, this is ultimately not a financial stewardship year-end giving sermon because what Paul says here is he calls us to a life stewardship. He calls us to give our whole selves. So do we look at the resources that Jesus has entrusted to us And then we look around for places to radically share them, even when it hurts, even when it's it's costly. Is there an overflow of what we receive from the Lord Jesus that enables us to give generously to his people? So practically, we do are called on to give generously this Christmas season at the end of the year, following the pattern of a life laid down. But I want to take a a zoom out moment. There have been people who've talked about what we have to give our time and our talents and our treasures. One of the best gifts that you can give at Christmas is your time and your attention to your children, to your family. Take a moment to linger in conversation with someone who might feel overlooked and unseen. Someone in your workplace who wonders where they fit. If you give them the radically generous gift of your time, you don't have time to do this. But if you spend a moment hearing their story and encouraging them, that is one of the best gifts that you can give, sharing of yourself for that person. Give your time to your neighbors. Give your time to friends here at church. Share your skills, your talents. There are things that you have, things that you know that maybe you think, I don't have time to tell you about it. I don't have time to show you. I'll just do it myself. But the Lord would call you to share your talents, share how you can build your skills into someone else's life. Give generously of your time and your talents. And yes, give generously of your treasure. Just a plug for giving to your church at the end of the year. We have a profound mission that the Lord Jesus is conducting in this place. And as you and I together pursue the reaching of our goal of of December, every dollar over that goal goes around the world to mission. You're going to hear about it from Pete and Randy and Ben in just a moment as they went to Iraq just back this week. We give generously because of what Jesus has given to us. And when our lives are filled with a radical generosity toward the needs of others, whether they're down the block or around the world, we become a living demonstration of the love of God. That's what happens in this place. He fills us up so that we can pour ourselves out for the sake of others. Where is he calling you to give this year? Where is he calling you to step into a new generosity, maybe even a costly generosity of your time or your talents or your treasure? That's the pattern of a life following 
Jesus. But maybe you're here this morning and you think, okay, I'm called to give generously to relieve the suffering of other people. I'm called to give time and talent and treasure. I'm called to give sacrificially. But what if I don't want to? What if I really don't feel like it? What if I look at my life and I think, I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have enough to share. What now? What do I do? Well, I've I told you before, I had the privilege of serving people in 35 poorest countries on the planet when I worked for Food for the Hungry. And I saw people in those places who were impoverished and yet unbelievably generous. Where does a poor person get the power to be generous like that? Where does a poor person get the power to be joyfully generous? And where where can I get it? The pattern of Jesus' life is not the place. If you look at the pattern of Jesus' life and you try to live like Jesus without knowing the power of his grace, it's going to crush you. If you try to live according to the law without the power of God's grace, without the enabling of the Holy Spirit, you will feel this crushing load of expectations and should all the time. If you don't know the grace of the Lord Jesus, the pattern of his life is going to enslave you. But if you do know the generous grace of Jesus, then you will be empowered to give, empowered to serve. Where is he calling you to serve this year? And where's the power coming from? Verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's gonna fuel your generosity is to intimately know the favor of God, that he has given you his favor, his kindness, his tenderness, when you and I have deserved exactly the opposite. That's the foundation. That's the power of living a generous life. It's to know that Jesus gives us a never-stopping love. He's never going to look at you and say, I'm really tired of you. I'm really done. You've stopped listening to me. I'm, I'm just ready to just put you somewhere else because you don't listen to me anymore. I'm tired of it. Jesus will never treat you like that. There, he has a never stopping love. He has a never giving up love. He's never gonna look at you and say, I just can't keep doing it. I'm not gonna keep forgiving that sin anymore. I'm done. Jesus will never say that to you. He has a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love is what the children's Jesus Storybook Bible says. Never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. He looks at you right now and he loves you as much as he can possibly love you. He can never love you any more than he already does right now. And he will love you that way all the way through eternity. Where does the power to live a generous life, a life that's poured out for the sake of others, where does it come from? comes from knowing how deeply we are loved by Jesus. And people who know that they are loved find incredible strength to do amazing things. One of our favorite children's books when our kids were little ones was called Somebody Loves You, Mr. Hatch. It's a wonderful book. If you don't know that book, get it for your kids or your grandkids. Somebody Loves You, Mr. Hatch. It's a story about this man, Mr. Hatch, who's an unfriendly recluse. He never talks to anybody. He never spends time with anybody. He gets up in the morning and makes his turkey sandwich, takes it to his office, does his work, goes home, buys a paper from the, the, from the newspaper man without ever speaking to him and spends his evening reading the paper. Tomorrow he'll do the exact same thing. 
over and over and over. He never talks to anybody. He has no expression of love anywhere in his life. And then one day, the postman rings the doorbell at Mr. Hatch's house, and he hands Mr. Hatch a giant valentine, its heart that's filled up with candy. And he hands him a note. And it says, somebody loves you. And Mr. Hatch closes the door, and he can't imagine who would give him such a thing. Nobody knows him. Surely nobody loves him. But then he begins to change as he reads this note. and begins to think, somebody loves me. And so he begins to give his life away. He goes to the grocery store to buy his groceries, and the grocer says, my daughter is, in, is here, and she needs to get home. And Mr. Hatch says, I'll walk her home. I'll spend time with your daughter. He baked brownies for all the kids in the neighborhood. He even made lemonade for everybody. It became a spontaneous block party. Mr. Hatch began to smile because he thought somebody loved him. He laughed. He began to serve. He gave himself away. He gave himself as a servant because he thought somebody loved him. And then one day, the postman comes back to the door and says, Mr. Hatch, I'm sorry, there's been a dreadful mistake. The valentine was intended for somebody else. I delivered it to the wrong address. So Mr. Hatch goes and gets the valentine. He doesn't have any candy left because he gave it all away. He shared it all, but he gave the valentine back to the postman, and he handed him back the note that says, somebody loves you. And he closed the door, sure that nobody loved him. The neighbors began to talk. He said, Mr. Hatch no longer smiles, he no longer laughs, he no longer does any of these, any of these things. But he, he came and he, he had mended my fence, he watched my kids, he baked brownies, he did so much for people in the neighborhood. What's happened? And then the postman confesses, I accidentally delivered the wrong package to Mr. Hatch and he had to give it back and now he thinks nobody really loves him. So the neighbors all hatched a plan. On one Saturday, Mr. Hatch woke up and opened the door to his porch to sweep it clean like he did every Saturday. When he opened the door, he saw balloons. He stepped out of the door, he saw streamers. And he got to the end of the steps, he saw a huge crowd of all of his neighbors and they were holding up this giant banner and it read, everybody loves you, Mr. Hatch. And so he takes out this handkerchief and he dabs a tear from his eye because he knew that somebody loved him after all. What a great story of happiness that comes when somebody knows that they are loved. They begin to give their lives away, begin to serve, and begin to love. That generosity spurs love. But what about when we are filled with hate? What about when we are filled with hate and we give that hate to someone and they return it with love? That's grace. When we spew forth our sin and our hatred and God returns it with love and kindness, that's grace. That's what Paul means here. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe those words sound to you something like the teacher on the phone from Charlie Brown, you know, wah, 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 wah. Just general Bible words that really don't have any meaning. But remember the man who wrote them. It was Paul. Before we knew him as Paul, we knew him as Saul, who hated 
Jesus. He hated Jesus' people. He had a job by the Sanhedrin. He was given a job of hunting down and rounding up, arresting, and even executing followers of Jesus wherever he found them. This guy was a professional hater. He was profession was to violently stamp out any evidence of the life of Jesus anywhere, completely stamp it out. He hated Jesus. And yet God sent his son to forgive and love a man like Paul who hated him. A man who fiercely hated God. For him, God sent his son. That's unparalleled generosity. That is a loving kindness that costs God so much to love this man when he was an enemy of God. And now that Saul knew that he was loved, he sees the power to live a different kind of life, a generous life. Hate was returned with a bond of love that was sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus on the cross. That's what moved Paul to share his life so boldly as he did, and it will have a similar effect on you and me if we can grasp that we're like Paul. We can grasp that, that grace will move you when you and I begin to understand that I'm really bad. I'm a whole lot like Paul. Not so that we wallow in our guilt, but when we understand and can admit, when you can admit and I can admit that I've hurt people like Paul did. I've hurt my family, I've hurt my friends, the people of God and in some way have been harmed because of me. I've accused them, I've torn them down to make myself look better in comparison. I've lied, I've, I've harbored vindictiveness. What Paul did, I've done too. But God sent his son. God sent his son in kindness and generosity to die condemned on a cross for somebody like me. For somebody like you. He sent his son for people who hated him. And that is generosity. It's almost an unspeakable, gracious generosity. That grace of the Lord Jesus poured out for people like you and me will mold our hearts to be like his. He loved us when we hated him. He still loves us when we turn away from him. And that loving pursuit of generosity and grace can strengthen you and me to do the same. For people in our lives, what's going to give us power for generosity? What's going to enable you to share your life even when it hurts? As helpful as they are, it's really not the statistics or the graphs. It's really not the pictures or the stories of children who are in need. That's really not what's going to move us on a heart level. What's going to motivate us toward generosity is when our heart is captivated by the fact that a crucified God saved us. A crucified God has loved me. When we grasp that, when it takes root in our hearts, when we hang on to that, that love story in the Bible, when it begins to grip your life, then you will be able to turn toward the least and the lost and relieve their suffering just like Jesus relieved yours. How big is Jesus' love for you? How big is it? How wide and how magnificent is his love for you? Open up your life 
so that we can see it. We can see his love through your generosity. That's how we follow the pattern of Jesus' life. Let's pray. Lord, you've been unspeakably generous to people like us. You sent your only son to take upon himself the condemnation that we deserve. When we hated you, when we rebelled against you, when we thought you weren't even of enough account that we would even pay you attention, but we just ignored you. When we treated you that way, you sent your only son for us. And so, Lord, would that love, that gracious generosity so captivate our hearts that you would turn us outward to love one another, to serve, to be generous with our time and our talent and our treasure. We pray that that love would so take root in our church that the world would see a Jesus who's alive here, a Jesus who loves enemies into dearly loved sons. Grab hold of our hearts like that, we pray, and enable us to pour our lives out for others. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.